Eternal Kingdom by Michelle Roger, Chapter 4 The world is a vampire. Ruth's phone rang, its ringtone a glorious tribute song by the Smashing Pumpkins. It was a text message from Micah. Still in negotiations with Davies, but the outcome looks like it will go our way. Give me a few more days. Flying home to rejuvenate, and then we'll return to resume negotiations. Ruth clicked her tongue in disgust. Micah was showing his weak side when she had little time or patience for delays. Her plan needed precision and not flights of fancy home to lay in his earth-filled coffin. She hit reply via voice call. As soon as Micah picked up, she spoke in a controlled, direct tone. My money isn't paying for trips back and forth across the globe. It's unlawful to deny a fellow vampire their basic need to return to their home soil, he answered, feeling very brave from so far away. I wouldn't want to have to mention it to Jeremiah the next time I see him. There was a loud click as Ruth ended the conversation. Micah placed the phone in his pocket and boarded the red-eye flight bound for Detroit. My name is Rose and I'll be guiding you through your rehabilitation, said a lean, athletic woman cheerily. Robbie smiled at her, and when she looked down at her chart, he glared angrily at Ray, who was looking on at a clear, safe distance. Rose caught his eye, and he smiled again at her. Right. Now, did the physio department tell you that we recommend you have a partner? That way, you'll have someone who knows each exercise and how it's performed in the event that you need to complete your routine when I'm not here. Why wouldn't you be here? asked Robbie. Rose hedged slightly nervous. Oh, no reason in particular, Rose said, taking a deep breath. Oh, it's just a good idea. So, is it this bloke over here? She laughed, directing the question to Ray. If so, I'm afraid you're a bit overdressed in that suit and tie. Nah, it's not him. Robbie was quick to answer for Ray. He's hopeless at just about everything. Well, maybe not storytelling. He likes to think he can turn real-life people into superheroes and immortal gods in the stories he makes up. Isn't that right, Ray? Ray shrugged and reserved his anger. Some of us believe in miracles, and some of us don't. Obviously, you're not a believer, Robbie. It's sad. No, it isn't. It's not sad at all. It's reality, Ray. I never took you for a gullible man. Rose interrupted, trying to quell the hostility. Are we waiting for your wife to arrive this morning? I saw her interview last night on television. Is she running late? She might be. Robbie cut Rose off very abruptly. No, it's just me. I've worked out all of my life, and I doubt there's something new that you can show me. Let's just get to work. Rose sensed the tension between the two men. Typically, it was hospital protocol to bring in a rotating physical therapist who might help in her absence, but... Rose could see a quick escape from his room was more important. Getting on it. Good. That's the spirit. Okay, then. We're off to the rehab room, she announced to Ray. We should be back in three quarters of an hour. Rose wheeled Robbie out, and the two strolled silently down the hall and into the elevator. Robbie jumped at the loud echo inside the small space as Rose coughed several times, releasing her hand from the chair and applying the foot brakes so she could step away. When the coughing fit had ended, she wiped away her watering eyes and apologized. The double doors opened and Rose wheeled Robbie into a rehab room. He felt the chair foot brakes applied again and looked around to see what was stopping them. Rose was adjusting a weight machine just above his head. 
I don't need to work my arms and chest, sweetheart. You must be reading the chart upside down. It's not my arms that need help. It's my legs that are buggered. Rose continued to methodically set the weights. To his surprise, her small hands had immense strength as she slowly peeled his hands off of the wheelchair armrests. She spoke firmly but softly. There was something completely feminine about her that made Robbie let go a bit of his temper. I need your upper body to be as strong as it can be. If we're going to preserve your name as tree trunks, then I have to know that your upper half can support you while we work the lower half. An old man sitting in a recliner by the window shouted, You can work my lower half any time you want! The room of patience broke into laughter, and Rose blushed despite herself. You'll have to forgive Mr. McGinnis. His whole life he was a police officer, a man in uniform, and he thinks he can still charm all the ladies. She said it loud enough for the old man across the room to hear her, as she adjusted Robbie's hands on the weight machine griffs. Well, you can't blame the old boy for saying what the rest of the room was thinking, said Robbie as he began to work the machine and gave Rose a wink. For the first time in weeks, for a few brief seconds, Robbie felt like his old self. Micah was relieved to find that Ruth let her rage befuddle her mind. She never asked him why he never moved his coffin to the council's central location in the heart of Chicago. Truth be told, he had left Detroit in such a hurry he hadn't thought to bring it. For several years he tried to put the whole matter out of his head, but recently his body had begun to crave the earth from home. Lord knows he had tried to supplement the best organic mixture and coffin his promotion at work could buy. He told himself that Chicago and Detroit were both Midwestern states, but the effect wasn't the same. Of late, every part of him, down to some metaphysical, molecular level, craved Detroit. He felt as if he would certainly wither away to nothing if he didn't get home immediately. Detroit had little to offer him, but dirt it had in spades. Micah called Jacob. He was surprised to find his housekeeper very much awake and eager to talk, considering it was 3 a.m. "'Master, you've landed. Shall I come and get you with the car?' Jacob asked gleefully. "'Yes, I've arrived, but I'll take a cab home. Have you left everything in place as I instructed?' There was a long pause on the other end of the phone. Jacob's voice croaked as he answered. "'Yes, but I truly wish you would let me take care of the mess before you return.' "'Your sister—' "'No!' shouted Micah. "'Leave it. "'I need to be reminded, and you are going to do as you're told. "'It'll help me to never forget.' "'Yes, sir,' Jacob trailed off, sounding meek and frightened. "'Micah hung up and hailed a cab. "'Once inside, they headed down I-94. "'He could have easily arranged for Jacob to bring the car, "'but Micah wanted to take in Detroit and its surrounding area alone, "'in silence, and only a stranger driving a passenger could bring that. As the severely beat-up Crown Victoria made its way, Micah could let his memory wander. Take a detour through the city, he directed nostalgically. The city from the newly built casinos illuminated the sky. Motor City was the first one to stand out with its sleek, linear lighting resembling an electric serpent slithering up the building. Prostitutes lined Woodward Avenue in tattered stockings and purple dyed wigs. A few, Micah thought, he remembered, but he wasn't sure. Prostitutes had a short shelf life, and the likelihood of some remaining alive and unscathed from his human days were highly improbable. When they passed Orchestra Hall, Micah 
When they passed Orchestra Hall, Micah's mind flooded with thoughts of Emily. A lump formed in his throat. He remembered how lovely her black sequin dress had glittered under the spotlights as she played her violin there. He recalled his immense pride and only wishing he might show her off to his new friends. It was far too dangerous, he had known, but in that moment, while she took a bow in front of a standing ovation, he had just hoped somehow it could all work out. Micah laughed out loud to himself, making the cabbie look through the rear-view mirror. If he had only known how very, very complicated it would become, he never would have kept the sort of company he did. Maybe then he would still have her. Maybe. As the city lights turned to lamp posts lining suburban streets, the mansions of Gross Point stood importantly, puffing out their chests and imitating their original owners, captains of Detroit steel, coal, and manufacturing. Mercedes, BMWs, and Lexuses kept the cab company at the stoplight. Gross Point was the east edge where Detroit's elite went into hiding. This wasn't the newsworthy part of the city, and the residents paid through the nose to the press and law enforcement to keep their troubles out of the spotlight. As the cabbie pulled into the driveway, the cabbie couldn't help but whistle. <whistles> nice digs, man. You should see the inside, Mike amused, as he paid the fare. Jacob opened the door, smiling nervously. He was a little more than nineteen or twenty with wild blond hair, and he was willowy thin. He diverted his eyes so as not to make eye contact with Micah, but peeked under hooded lids to read the vampire's expression. Micah sniffed the air. Ah, good. You used the chemicals I emailed to you. I can tell. Jacob smiled at making his master happy. Where is she? Panic flooded Jacob as he took Micah's coat. He pointed to the large music room. Ornate mahogany-carved walls filled the foyer and music room of the immense house. Oil paintings from their family dating back to the 16th century hung in a classical grouping over the eight-foot fireplace. Emily was wearing her favorite red velvet dress laying on the couch. It was clear that Jacob had poured her a glass of wine. Her shoes lay on the rug that Micah had sent from Istanbul. Micah kissed his sister hello. Her stark white skin was ice cold. He looked into her cloudy blue eyes. Jacob stood in the corner of the room, cowering as he watched his master's inspection. Carefully, Micah untied the silk scarf from around Emily's neck. He stared at the two puncture marks he had left deep in her skin. He would have cried at that moment if he could have produced tears. He slumped down next to her corpse and began to apologize over and over again. As he reached over to hug her, Micah brushed Emily's hair. Several of her brown locks disintegrated at the scalp and fell into a clump in Micah's hand. Jacob wanted to run as Micah reacted in panic and disillusionment. It suddenly felt as if all of the air had been sucked from the room. Micah's eyes were blood-red and his face contorted in his seething as he looked at Jacob. In his remorse and bereavement, he looked more like a monster than a man. You said you used the chemicals, Micah screamed. Jacob began to weep. I did, sir. I swear I did, just like you instructed. Please, sir, it's been years. I've kept her safe and preserved all this time. His weeping turned to sobbing as Jacob dropped to his knees. I burned the old blood-soaked rug like you said, and I scrubbed the floors. 
I put down the new rug you sent, and then I put her in her favorite dress and injected her with the chemicals following your every instruction. Please! Where's her violin? barked Micah through bared teeth. Just there, on the piano, he pointed with trembling hands. Play it. Oh, sir, I can't. I, I, I just can't. You were her student. Now play it. Show me what she's taught you. Micah's eyes blazed crimson, and Jacob ran to the grand piano, where Emily's violin lay waiting. As Jacob played, Micah held the hand of his first victim that he had ever killed as a vampire. Ironically, it was the only murder he ever regretted committing. Brother and sister lay on the couch together, listening to Jacob's concerto. "'I took the liberty of turning on a bit of inspiration for you this morning,' said Rose cheerfully as Robbie was wheeled into the rehab room. She looked up at the television, and there was Helen sitting in an overstuffed chair. I heard she was giving an interview this morning, and I figured you wouldn't want to miss it. Robbie had been hurt and left lonesome by Helen's absence. She had done as Ray instructed, making a positive statement to the press about his recovery, but soon after had left with not so much as a note. She didn't answer her cell. She hadn't inquired about his prognosis, according to the nurse's station. Seeing her on the screen, Robbie felt a relief in knowing that she was doing her duty, keeping him in the spotlight with interviews. He asked Rose to turn it up. Robbie lay on the floor mat with his head turned towards the screen. She asked him to try to resist as she stretched out his leg, with his foot straight up in the air. She felt no pushback. Helen smiled sweetly as the anchor introduced her. The interview started as Rose bent Robbie's foot to stretch his arch. "'It's a terrible tragedy about your husband. Have his attackers been found?' asked the newswoman. Helen looked stern. Robbie's manager, Ray, said that he saw three men flee the scene when they found my husband, but so far they've only questioned one possible suspect, and no one has been arrested.' From the security that we've seen at the hospital, it looks like all of his fans are showing their support for a full recovery, the woman said positively, smiling into the camera. Yes, the letters, flowers, and cards have really been good for Robbie, Helen paused, taking a tissue from the table that sat between her and the news anchor. Rose had to tell Robbie to lie back down as he tried to sit up, watching his wife begin to cry on national television. It's just, she sniffed, I have no idea how we're going to do it. I have no idea how much specialists and hospital bills and intense therapy could cost. At this rate, we'll lose everything that we have been saving, trying to save his legs. Helen broke down and the cameraman zoomed in for a close-up. Instead of comforting, the newswoman saw her chance for higher ratings and probed Helen deeper. Do you think you'll have to go back to working the family dairy farm? Surely your husband won't be able to conduct that level of physical labor, even if he does regain the ability to walk. Rose could suddenly feel resistance pushing back in Robbie's legs. The more he watched, the harder he pushed without even realizing it. Rose didn't know if she should be concerned or encouraged. I took my vows very seriously when I married Robbie, in sickness and in health, and if running the farm is what I have to do to keep bread on the table, then that's what I will do. So inspiring, remarked the newswoman, forgetting her impartiality. Your husband might be watching this right now. Do you have a message for him? 
The newsroom held its breath, ready to jump at the chance to replay whatever rating-boosting words Helen might spew and lead with it on the eleven o'clock highlight hour. Helen smiled directly into the camera with tears in her eyes. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Have faith, darling. As the newsroom exploded with social media and highlight leads, the anchor woman smiled and noted, We here at Channel 6 are huge fans of the All Blacks and their inspiring captain, Tree Trunks Davies. If you would like to donate to help in the medical expenses, please see the address at the bottom of the screen. The station will be sure that the Davies receive your generous gift. Suddenly Rose lost her balance as Robbie pushed, nearly kicking her with both of his legs. She landed on the floor, knocking the wind out of her and inspiring another severe coughing fit. Sitting up, she wiped her eyes again and listened to Robbie go off on a tirade. Shut it off! Shut it off! What the hell is she trying to do? Where the fuck is Ray? Robbie screamed. Calm down. Calm down. She's not... Just calm down for a second. Let me get you back into your chair. Rose tried to soothe what was disconsolate. She's never going back to the farm. She swore she'd never wear gumboots again, let alone dodge cow shit in a milking shed. How could she say that? It sounds like we're flat broke. Ray! As Robbie yelled, his movement increased and he worked his body like Rose had never seen him since he had arrived at the hospital. Hearing his name, Ray appeared in the rehab room, panting and out of breath. What the hell is going on? gasped Ray. Rose spoke first as Robbie stopped short when he realized what had happened. Well, the bad news is that it seems Helen Davies is playing the sympathy card. The good news is that we have made a huge breakthrough in Robbie's recovery. She pointed to the chair where Robbie sat. He had the strength and bodily ability to climb into the chair on his own. All of them were stunned. Where are the tickets? Micah barked. Emily hates to be late. Uh, forgive me, sir, but do you think it's really a good idea? Do you think people will notice? It may be dark in Orchestra Hall during the performance, but don't you think someone might recognize her when the house lights come up for intermission? The balcony is all yours, but I think someone might see. Jacob hated to argue with his master, but he loved the siblings, and keeping them as safe was of the utmost importance. I know you wish to spoil Miss Emily." Micah, refresh him a good sleep in his home, had awakened with a clearer head. Surely Jacob was right. Emily's disappearance was one of Detroit's unsolved mysteries, and as far as he knew, the case was still open. Forgive me, I only mean to cherish my darling sister as she should be cherished. I have neglected her for far too many years, and, well, her unfortunate state of being is solely my fault. Leave it to me, sir. I have the perfect solution. Within an hour, Jacob had taken Micah and Emily, dressed in black tie attire, to the lovely upper room inside St. Patrick's Church. This used to be the sacristy where the priests and altar boys used to change before Mass. They renovated, and now no one ever comes to this side of the building, especially at night. I grew up in this parish. Father was kind and had this installed for us poorer children. He thought that music should be for everyone. He was a good man, Jacob smiled, but it was bittersweet. Clearly, his mentor had died. Pulling back the curtain from the wall, a small monitor came to life with the flick of a switch, and the sound of the audience from the building next door crackled in the speaker. Soon, the stark room was filled with the opening number. 
Micah lay Emily on the old church pew. He paced as he listened, only stopping to stare out the window. He spoke to Jacob telepathically so as not to disturb Emily in her concert. What's the building over there? Show me. Jacob revealed his mind to his master, and while Jacob was subservient and loyal, he was not bright beyond a mild tendency towards music. Yet, his minion showed him an interesting prospect. Why had Micah never noticed it, he wondered. The old Detroit meatpacking house was abandoned on the fringe of the city. It was a crumbling gem of disintegration. Micah explored Jacob's mental observation, the graded floors, the upper floors from the observation decks. Tchaikovsky flowed from the speakers over Emily's corpse and into the shared vision of master and servant. Micah's brain extrapolated as he released Jacob. Moving the remaining equipment and modifying the abandoned warehouse would be little effort to accomplish Ruth's plan for the game. When the concert was finished, Micah sent Ruth an e-ticket to Detroit. A spreadsheet with bank accounts, stocks, and investments glowed before two men sitting in front of the hospital side table. She's cleaned out all the accounts. She can't touch her single accounts, though. Ray tried to sound reassuring as he showed Robbie the bank details. Coach called today and asked if everything was all right because she called him at home. She said you were unstable and she needed the World Cup bonus to be sent to a new account. He called me to see if you had gotten worse. There was a knock at the door and Rose was standing in the doorway looking meek and small in her sundress. I wanted to bring this to you. Um, it's being added to your file. I'm taking a leave of absence. But two men came to see me today, two doctors. I don't want to upset you, but today is my last day, and I wanted you to know. Your wife is trying to declare you incompetent. The doctors came to interview me because I've spent the most time with you here in the rehab. Robbie looked completely spent by Helen's betrayal. He held his breath after asking Rose, What did you tell them? Rose laughed, and it inspired a small amount of coughing. She smiled brightly and answered, I told them that you're the most likely candidate I ever had for a complete recovery, and that was due to your excellent mental outlook. I gave them the name of a few of the other staff members who agree with me. Robbie couldn't help himself as he exhaled a huge sigh of relief. Rose turned to leave, but Ray asked her to come into the room for a moment. Ray stared deep into Robbie's face as he asked Rose the question, What's the likelihood that Robbie would be able to to stand upright and walk in about six weeks. Robbie protested, but Ray continued. Coach also asked if there was any way they could renew your contract for next year. Robbie knew what Ray was getting at. If he could stand with limited range of walking, he was eligible for Micah's offer in the game. And if he were to win, an immortal with superhuman strength sounded like an answer to every prayer. If you would have asked me a week ago, she said, I would have said impossible. But the huge progress Robbie's made this week, I think I would rethink the outcome. Rose turned to leave again, and Robbie asked, By the way, Rose, is it terminal? Rose stopped mid-stepped. Is what? She feigned misunderstanding. My dad coughed like that just before he died of lung cancer. How long have you got? Rose didn't say anything for a long time. When she answered, her voice cracked. Six months, maybe. 
if I'm lucky. Robbie looked at Ray. What would you give to survive it? He said, turning to Rose. Would you risk everything on something that's likely a suicide? Eternal Kingdom is written by Michelle Roger. This book is edited by Brendan McWilliams. Sound engineered by Steve Nett of Computer Room Services. Graphic novel drawn by Tom Duncan. Music composed, performed, and recorded by Michelle Roger.